Welcome to another episode of Living Well with Rentwell. I'm one of your co-hosts, TJ Hawk. With us today, we have Joey Coleman. How are you, Joey? Hey, TJ. I am doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. And thanks to everybody who's kind enough to be listening in. Excited for our conversation today. I am too. We are... we were talking a little bit before the show here, and I think it our last one was around your book of Never Lose a Customer Again. I think we did that a year ago. Like the it was end definitely of- a while ago, yes. That is so crazy. And so now you have a new book out, which I can't wait to dig into. I think the timing is perfect. Uh, how about, do you want to kick it off and just tell us a little bit about your new book and what that looks like? Absolutely. So the new book is called Never Lose an Employee Again, The Simple Path to Remarkable Retention. And the genesis for the book comes from the fact that I think so many employers globally struggle with their employee relationships. They struggle to find and identify great talent. They struggle to take them through a hiring process and identify the right candidate and make an offer and get that person to accept the offer. They then really struggle to onboard that new talent, how to get them up to speed and contributing to the team. And then they run into this wonderful challenge of long-term engagement and retention. Like how do we keep people focused and how do we keep people contributing and how do we get them to buy into our bigger vision of uh, where we think the organization could go or be? And the more I realized that this was a challenge for businesses globally, the more I thought it would be interesting to apply a framework that I had developed on the customer side to see if it would work on the employee side. And thankfully it did. And the research proved that it did. And the case studies from 50 plus companies on all seven continents showed that it did. And it was like, all right, we've got some stuff and I'd love to put this into a book and share it with folks. So Never Lose an Employee Again is out. It's available. We're excited to hit number five on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list uh, right out of the block. So uh, the response has been great. And hopefully we can share some things in our conversation today that folks can apply in their business to create better employee experiences. Well, Joey, I'd love for you to share more about some of the data you found in Isla. I always mess up jokes and I mess up regurgitating information. And 80% of statistics are made up anyway, right? (laughs) Very true. Very true. I think I had I had read or heard that um, it might have been Gallup organization that sent out a report that said the average employee lasts maybe it's two years now at a company or maybe in their particular role and some staggering number, 60% are disengaged with where they are. And so, I, you know, speaking from if I were to put on the hat of a business owner, it that whole flow of how do you find talent, go through maybe call it like the human psychometric process of whether you use disc or culture index or Enneagram, or there's so many platforms out there and okay, well, we did a great job. We think we found somebody who's going to be a good match for the role. Now they're on board and we say, good luck. So true. So true. Yeah, the, the statistics, TJ, are staggering and you're, you're spot on. I mean, the number of people globally that are disengaged at work is unbelievable. The most recent research shows uh, pretty much globally somewhere between 55 and 70% of current employees wow. are actively looking for a new job. So let's just let that one sink in right now. Which 60 to 75% of your existing employees would you be able to function with if they left tomorrow? Like, how would you continue to run your business if that many of your people 
left. And that's the ones that are actively looking for a new job right now. We also know that uh, depending on, again, your industry specific and where you're at, ballpark somewhere between 25 and 70% of new hires quit before the 100-day anniversary. Really? Before the 100-day anniversary. Okay? So as quickly as you're bringing them in the front door, they're running out the back door. So this is a gigantic problem facing every business on the planet. And the answer is not a simple, well, you just need to have a better day one, or you need to do onboarding better. It's like you need to do all the things better from the first time someone understands that you have a job opening up until the point where they're a raving fan advocate. I've identified eight phases of the employee journey that you can take an employee through. And if you're meeting them physically and mentally and emotionally at each stage of that journey, you dramatically increase the likelihood that they stay. You dramatically increase their engagement. You dramatically increase their productivity. And in the process of doing all of that, you increase the profitability of your organization or your business or your enterprise. So this is not just Joey saying, oh, treat everybody better. It's make you feel good. That's true. It will. Don't get me wrong. But it'll impact your bottom line too. Can you give us just a high level, like what are those eight stages? Absolutely. So I believe there's eight phases to the employee journey. They all start with the letter A, and that's by design, with the idea being that if you get all eight phases of the employee journey right, it's like getting straight A's on your report card from your team members, right? They're saying, I love every piece of this. This is working beautifully. So what I'll give you is maybe a 35,000-foot view, TJ, and then we can dive deep into whichever ones seem most interesting to you or the listeners. So the first phase is the assess phase. This is when a prospective employee is trying to decide whether or not they want to come work for you. So they're looking at your job listings, your position advertisements. They might be on the careers page or the about us page on your website. They're submitting their resume or their application to enter your hiring process. They're going through interviews and background checks, leading all the way up to a decision about whether or not this is the candidate you want. That takes us to phase two, the accept phase. The accept phase has two component parts. The first one, the employer decides this is the candidate we want to extend an offer to. If everything goes well, that candidate accepts our offer. They transition from being a prospective employee to being a new hire. We then go to phase three, the affirm phase. Now, I'd be willing to bet that everybody listening in is familiar with the concept of buyer's remorse the scientifically proven experience that customers have when they make a purchase and they immediately begin to doubt the purchase they just made. Allow me to introduce folks to potentially a new phrase, new hire's remorse. It is the same scientifically proven experience of a new hire accepting a job offer and then beginning to doubt the decision they just made. And I will tell you, for most employers, they haven't even heard of new buyer's remorse or new hire's remorse, rather, let alone are they doing things to address and remedy the new hire's remorse that scientifically every new hire is going to feel. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. Phase four, the activate phase occurs on the first day on the job. This is the first day an employee shows up for work. It's the only phase in the eight phases that is one day long. What are you doing during that day to, in the immortal words of country music legend, Bonnie Raitt, give them something to talk about? 
What are you doing to make that first day on the job so energetic, so remarkable that when they go home that night to their significant other, their children, their parents, their roommate, they feel that they've started the next chapter of their life and they're excited about what the future holds. We then come to phase five, the acclimate phase. This starts on day two on the job and lasts for weeks, maybe even months, as your new employee gets up to speed with your way of doing business. They're learning what I like to call the four R's. What is their role? What are their responsibilities? What are the requirements of the job? And what are the relationships that they're going to have to manage in this new position? What are we doing to hold their hand as they acclimate to our way of doing business? We then come to phase six, the accomplish phase. This is when the employee achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to come work for you. Now, every new employee has a vision of what they're hoping to achieve. And pro tip for everyone listening out there, it's not a paycheck every two weeks. Okay, that's something they want. It's something they need. It's an important piece of the conversation. But they want more responsibility, a better title, new skill sets, new opportunities, new possibilities. What are we doing to track their goals and how they're moving towards those and then accomplishing those goals? And what are we doing to celebrate with them when they achieve that goal? We then come to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is when an employee becomes loyal to you and only you. They're not going to answer that inbound inquiry from a recruiter or a headhunter. They are committed to your organization. And if, and only if we've successfully navigated them through the first seven phases, do we have the right to welcome them in, the opportunity to welcome them in to the final phase, the advocate phase, where they become a raving fan, singing our praises far and wide, writing reviews on online sites like Glassdoor. And anytime we have a new position opening in our organization, they're actively recruiting their friends, their colleagues, the smartest people they know to come work with the organization because they are so bought into our mission, our vision, what we're trying to accomplish that they only want the best and brightest to work with them. Those are the eight phases. And what we're doing in each of those phases contributes to whether an employee is interested in being engaged and retained long-term. So simple. So simple, yet hugely filled with opportunity for improvements and enhancements. So where in the world would somebody start, right? Because my mind is there's all these eight, and, and I know that they're all important, but is there one that's more important than any of the others just to get started? So I would say, TJ, it depends on your organization. What I like to do is when an organization hires me to consult or to come in and speak or lead a workshop, I like to start with, well, where are we currently? Are you actively looking to fill current roles or are you kind of good with your existing team? If you actively have job openings posted, I want you to start at that beginning phase because let's stop the bleeding now. Let's not bring new people into a broken system. Let's make sure we're addressing that. If you don't actively have any positions and you're not planning on hiring anytime soon, let's start with the latter phases, the acclimate through advocate so that we can decrease the likelihood that you're going to have to replace one of your existing employees when they leave. Now, if you're some of both, there's an opportunity, I think, to plug into both places, start to fix the overall journey. But most businesses have existing employees. What are you doing to let them know that they are seen, that they are valued, that they are appreciated? 
and what can we do to kind of shore up maybe some deficiencies that have existed in our culture prior to having this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would be curious on your thoughts. You had, I'm looking at my notes here. You had mentioned about remorse, which I think is a fascinating concept. The, I had read somewhere, um, uh, one of my mentors, Cameron Harold, had mentioned it, and I think I might have read it in Zappos would do in the first two, maybe three weeks when somebody's hired, they offer them a check. Say, look, here's, you know, Bob starts with company XYZ. Here's a $5,000 check with your name on it. Uh, you have my permission that if this isn't a, a role or a company that you think you would really enjoy working for, take this check and feel free to go out, walk out the door. I, I'm curious. Yeah. Did any of that come up in the research as part of Oh, absolutely. And in fact, um, I had the great pleasure of working with Zappos and talking to the late, great Tony Shea specifically about this. So Tony Shea, when he was starting the onboarding program at Zappos and building out the team at Zappos, recognized very early on that the wrong person coming into a role was actually more damaging than getting the right person in the role. So it wasn't, it was important to try to get the right fit, but getting the wrong fit was exponentially worse. And the research aligned with Tony's gut instinct on this because to replace an employee costs somewhere between 100 and 300% of that employee's salary. So it's a huge financial impact, not to mention the morale impact of when an employee leaves, what that does to decimate the feelings of the team and the camaraderie and the collegiality that exists. So he started this program where after someone was done with their training, at the time, most Zappos employees went through a 30-day training period. On the last day of their training, they were presented with a check and told that if you want to quit right now, you can take this check and we part as friends. And that check started out at one price point and it rose and it rose and it rose till it was eventually $2,000. And Tony was frustrated because he wanted the number to be even higher. He struggled to get approval from the board to make it higher because his argument was in some ways, we want to make this so enticing that if anybody even flickers that this isn't the right place for them, we want to know that now. We want to get them out before they come in and potentially infect the culture that we've created. Yeah. So go ahead. It makes so much sense. I think I might've heard the word actively disengaged. Yes. You have engaged, disengaged, and then actively. And they're the ones that are going out almost purposely. Yep the rumors and causing issues and yeah and the most recent research from Gallup which is less than 30 days old at this point shows that that number is somewhere between 71 and 77 percent of organizations of employees at organizations globally so let me repeat that 71 to 77 percent of employees at organizations are either actively disengaged or just disengaged So stop and think about that. We're talking about a gigantic percentage of workers, of employees, of team members, of coworkers, of colleagues globally that just aren't that into it, you know, to, to paraphrase the dating preference of, you know, he's just not that into you or she's just not that into you. Your employees just aren't that into you. Why? And this is a problem that we know is chronic and systemic across all organizations globally, and yet very few organizations are doing 
anything to address it, let alone to even identify who in the organization falls into that category of disengaged or actively disengaged. They're not even sure. How do you tell? How do you tell? Well, I think you can tell from a couple of ways. Number one, you can flat out ask people. Number two, you can observe people. Number three, you should be able to get to a point where you have enough systems and enough processes and enough kind of listening ears, if you will, within the enterprise that you're identifying in an early warning system approach when someone is leaning or exhibiting disengaged behaviors. I liken this stuff to dating, TJ. Okay. I've been happily married for 12 years, soon coming up on 13. Congrats. I can, thank you. I can ask my wife, how am I doing as a husband? How are you feeling about this relationship? And she's amazing. She'll happily answer. But I should do more than just ask, or I believe I should do more than just ask. I should observe. I should say, are there signs that she thinks I'm doing a good job or not doing a good job? How do I score and evaluate myself? Do I think I'm performing at the level that I want? You know, I would ask employers and leaders out there listening to ask, do you think you're going out of your way to actively engage your people? Hmm. Or are you just trusting that they'll keep doing the job and getting it done and moving to the next task on their to-do list? There's a difference between getting things done and being engaged while we get things done. And I think many leaders... Many employers have become disconnected from whether their people are actively or disactively engaged. I'm so curious where all this comes from. Like, what is the why behind this? Why is it now? What is the shift? What is the, because it's global. It's not just in one particular even sector. Like, because I could, from a property management perspective, say, yeah, I get it. You know, you get beat up all day, you shovel, you know what, every day, and but it's not just our space. So what shift is happening that is causing this? Is it that people are... Uh, have you found anything in the research? Is to- yeah, so so this this is a gigantic question, TJ, but one that I love, one that I love, okay? And so I'm going to uh, suggest maybe a couple key bullet points or findings from the research, understanding that I want to be able to try to answer your question in less than 38 hours. Uh, so I'm just going to give some of the highlights and we can dive deep into any of these. So in sum, it is my personal belief and the research I think supports this, that The reason we are in this situation globally with employers and employees is directly because of employer behavior over the last hundred years. Now, if you or I think back to our grandparents, okay, so two, three generations ago, most of the folks of that generation, and I'm going to define that as people who would be older than 120 if they were alive today. Okay. Okay. They would get a job. And they would work for a company for 20, 30 years, get the gold watch, retire with the pension. They're good to go. It's the family business. That's what we did. We were company town. We did our thing, do, do, do. And they were well taken care of. Well, depending on kind of what research you look at in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, many of those corporations came along and said, yeah, you know, those pensions we had, um, we're going to raid those to get some of that money to spend other things. So we're not going to be able to pay the pensions anymore. 
And we also went through this uh, with the both the Industrial Revolution and then really exacerbated with the Computer Revolution and the Information Age Resolution. We said, mm, you know what? We can automate your job. We can systematize your job. And so we're going to replace a person with a computer, with a machine. And we, our loyalty, our commitment to you is not going to be there anymore. And so your longevity, your trust, your security in going to work for an employer was taken away, not because of anything you did as an employee, but because of the way the industry was going with automation, mechanization, et cetera. All of these situations are compounding and they're not evenly distributed globally, right? Different countries are going through these evolutions at different times. Different industries are going through this evolution at different times. And then something happened, which I would posit, TJ, is the first time and the largest time in recorded human history that one action has impacted every human being on the planet at about the same time. And that was the COVID pandemic. Mm. Now, what's interesting about this is there had been other pandemics, right? But they had affected certain countries or certain regions. COVID spread so quickly, so globally, was impacting literally every country on the planet in a matter of about, depending on what research you look at, 45 to 90 days, where suddenly almost everyone was being told, stay away from other people work from home, wear a mask, don't interact. We, we literally changed the fabric of society in this very short time period. We're, we're comparing months to centuries of previous behavior, and it happened everywhere at about the same time. What happened during that time period is some employers were remarkable they did everything they could to keep their people safe, to outfit them with home working, to give them space, to navigate this great uncertainty and fear and doubt that they had about life outside of work. They doubled down. But a lot of employers didn't. A lot of employers said, well, you know, it's a business. We got to double down. We're going to need more work and need more effort. I yeah. need you to still come in. We're going to need you to still hit your same goals. We're not going to adjust the plan. We're going to keep moving full steam ahead. And oh, by the way, we're not going to be able to keep all of you employed, so we're going to need to furlough some, we're going to need to fire some. I mean, I know people that were working in hospitals, hospitals, the front line for a medical crisis pandemic level that were basically told, we're going to need you to work 12, 14, 16, 18 hour days. Sure. But we're going to need you to do that for three weeks and then take a week off because we really can't afford to pay you all that time. So we we don't want you to actually take a week off. Just know we're not going to be able to pay you all of those days, but we'll pay you some of them. But you still, I mean, it was a nightmare. We're now on the other side of that, thankfully. And I think the practical reality is the typical employee has learned that the emperor has no clothes. Hmm. If they doubted before whether they were valued by their employer or not, they've seen lots of evidence either in their personal life or their significant other spouse's life or their kid's life or their parent's life or their best friend's life that many organizations don't act with the employee's best interest at heart. I agree. Now, before I lose anybody who's listening saying, Joey, that's not us. Great. I'm glad it's not you. But I promise you know other people in this industry that behave this way. I'm sorry, with all due respect to the property management space, I know there's a lot of people that feel that the property managers don't take good care of them 
on the tenant side. Tenants who are like, oh, my property manager doesn't take good care of me. I know there's lots of investors that say, oh, my property manager just doesn't do it the way they should. There's also a boatload of employees of property management firms that are like, let me get this right. I'm shoveling it all day and mm-hmm. you don't seem to care. Yeah. This problem is chronic. This problem is global. And this problem is only getting worse. The last point I'll make on this, we are living at a time. If we, if we roll back the clock 50 years, see, you've got me going. I'm a little bit, I, I love history, TJ. Okay. So if we roll back about 50 years, what we find is that the majority of human beings 50 years ago worked for an employer that was located within 30 miles of their home. You woke up, you either drove you either worked, you ran your own business, you were a farmer, you did your thing, you were right there, you were already at the job, or you drove to a place in town where you worked, or maybe the next town over, but it was pretty close. Sure, there were people that worked for larger corporations around the world and things like that, but the majority of humans worked for an employer that was rather close. That's not the case anymore. Now, if your employer is located within 30 miles of your house, it tells me one of a few things about you. Either you work in a very small micro business, you work in a business that is incredibly hands-on, has to be done individually, a chiropractor's office, for example, um, maybe even a property manager property management office. Although what I've noticed with a lot of my property management firm clients is they now have employees that are working remotely and it doesn't matter where they work. They can still do the job. The data just came out. 60% of property third-party scattered site property management companies, 60% of their staff is outsourced. Wow. 60%. So this is epic. More than half of the people who work for your organization don't work in your office, don't work at your physical location. This has never happened in human history to every industry. Every industry. We are in completely uncharted territory. And as if that isn't enough to make most folks want to lay down and cry, let me explain this. It's not getting better anytime soon. It's not going back to the way it was. I know a lot of leaders and CEOs who are just like, oh, if we could just get everybody back to the office or just go back to the way things were in 2019. First of all, it wasn't that great in 2019, okay? Stop deluding yourself that it was this amazing Nirvana experience back then. It wasn't. Let's be real. Number two, it's not going to happen. It's like saying, well, let's just go back to the time where no one has a cell phone. It's not going to happen. I can understand your desire to want to get back to those days, the nostalgia you feel for those days. But if you think that's on the horizon or it's just a matter of time or these darn millennials, when they grow up and become adults, they'll do better. No, we're seeing this across all demographics, all races, all cultures, all genders globally. This isn't just the new kids on the block that are behaving this way. This is team members, employees, globally. So now what happens with AI? Oh my gosh. Stack on top of that. Absolutely. And so here do you think, do you think the average employee is excited about the prospect of AI coming into the business? No. Why? Because all they see on the news is how AI is going to take their job. Now, I've dabbled enough in AI to probably make me dangerous, okay? Not by, I am by no means an AI expert. But in the dabblings I've done, we are not at the point today where everybody's job is in jeopardy. Okay. However, 
Six months ago, I'm at an event and I'm talking to a business owner who runs an ad agency in Europe. They have over 400 employees. And he says to me, we rolled out ChatGPT in our business in October of 2022. So three months before we were having this conversation, we put ChatGPT into our business. Last week, we let go of 75 people because ChatGPT is doing the work that those 75 people were doing. Oh, wow. Oh, is right, TJ. Oh, my God. Almost a quarter of the company became unnecessary to keep on payroll in 90 days. Now, I'm not saying this is going to apply in every business. A mo- the majority of those people were copywriters. And what they found is with the right prompts and the right data, ChatGPT could write the copy faster. But ChatGPT is an AI. You look at Kevin Kelly, who's one of the smartest technologists on the planet, right? Started Wired Magazine. He talks about the AIs, plural. Because AI isn't one thing. It's lots of things. It's like the internet isn't one thing. It's Mm -hmm. lots of things. It's the connection of lots of things and the application of lots of things. And AI is the same way. So do I think everyone's job is in jeopardy today because of AI? No. Do I think in almost every boardroom around the planet, leaders, shareholders, executives are saying, is there a way we can squeeze value out of AI that can allow us to reduce our human count? Yes. Probably. Well, not only probably, respectfully, TJ, it's happening in every industry, in every leadership team. Now, I'm not saying they should, but if you don't think that's impacting the morale of your team, they watch the news, they read the articles, they see the posts on social media. And if you're not having that conversation with your people, they're filling that void. That's a great point. Okay. This goes back to that affirm stage, right? That new hires remorse stage. If you're not addressing the fear and the doubt and the uncertainty they have, they're going to fill it with the voice in their head. I would rather have them fill it with the voice from a leader in the organization saying, hey, are we looking at AI? Yes. Are we going to ask you to explore AI? Yes. Is our commitment to you that we will always be striving to find ways to use technology and incorporate technology into our business to make our business more efficient, more effective, more valuable, more useful to our tenants and to our investors? Yes. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your job. But if you're unwilling to try this and experiment and play with it, this has now become a requirement of your job. We need you to do it. In the same way, we need you to answer emails or answer the phone or respond to a tenant inquiry, or call an investor back. Part of your job now is, how are we incorporating these technology tools into our day-to-day operation? That's a very different conversation than the AI is going to take your job and the robots are coming for you. Yeah, Have a conversation. They're grownups, right? We, we live in a society where we're uh, legally not allowed to hire children. We're only allowed to hire adults. They're adults. Treat them like adults. Have the honest conversation. You know, I really like that. In fact, I wrote that down because we have a once a month, just all hands meeting where we pull everybody together. And, you know, the idea of getting out in front of it and just talking about it. And maybe we don't even know how I can only speak for our company. You know, we 
probably have no real clue where AI fits, if it fits at all. But it, we should at least be talking about it. Exactly. It's that at least void. address the situation. Fill the void. Your employees, your team members are wondering about this and they're worrying about it. I want to, at the very least, dramatically reduce the worry and dramatically increase the wonder. I want them to be curious. I want them to be thinking about the applicability of these tools to their day-to-day lives. But not just as it relates to AI. How can we be better? How can we deliver a more remarkable experience? How can we enhance and deepen and further the relationships we have with our tenants, with our members, with our investors, with our colleagues, our coworkers? What can we be doing to make this a wonderful place to spend our time at every day? I love that. I love that. Joey, this has been incredible. I I really appreciate you taking time to talk us through this. It's got me thinking. um, I am absolutely going to pick up a copy of this book. I encourage all of our listeners to pick it up. If you haven't already read How to Never Lose a Customer Again, it's an incredible book. I'm sure this one is just as well. Uh, You know, I've read the cover of it, but I'd love to actually go through the book. And, um, Joey, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up for the day? Well, I'll say this. I believe that people consume information in different ways, right? Some of us like to read. Some of us like to listen. Some of us like to do. So it was really important to me when Never Lose an Employee Again, the newest book was coming out, that it was available in all formats at the same time. So if you like holding a physical book in your hand and taking notes in the margin, there's a hardcover version for you. If you'd rather review it on your Kindle or your Nook and highlight things and make notes so you can go back to them later, great. There's a version available for you. And if you've enjoyed the sound of my voice, I actually narrate the audiobook. So you can listen to the audiobook as well. It's available wherever you might find books. I think it is imminently applicable to the world of property management. I have several property management clients. I've spoken at multiple property management events. I know this stuff can move the dial for your relationships with your people and your team. And I am so confident that it will do that, that in the first chapter, I make an offer. And the offer goes like this, TJ. You buy the book. You have to invest in buying the book. You read or you listen to the book. If you get to the end and you're like, yep, Joey, nope, not applicable to my business. No value here. Didn't get anything. No ideas. Nothing I can do to move the dial. No problem. My email is in the book repeatedly. Send an email to me. Say, Joey, read the book. Didn't get any value. No problem. I'll refund the cost of purchasing the book. That's how confident I am that this book is going to be applicable to you and your business. Give it a try. I'd love to hear from you. The last thing I'll say is at the beginning of the book, there's an opportunity to sign up to experience the book. One of the great things about being an author is that you get to share your ideas, your message with the world. One of the worst things about being an author, as in general, when someone reads a copy of my book or listens to the book, I don't know. I know that the book was sold by the bookstore, but I don't know who the end user or end reader is, and I don't have any interaction with them. At the very beginning of the book, I say, sign up to experience the book. You share your name, you share your email, maybe your phone number, maybe your address. The more things you share, the more ways we'll have a chance to be in communication. Oh, I like that. 
And what I love about it is it has allowed me to connect with readers in almost 100 countries globally between my first book and this book already. I know for a fact the first, the new book, Never Lose an Employee Again, is being read in over three dozen countries right now as you and I are having this conversation. And in, I think we're up to, I know it's been read in north of 40 of the 50 states the last time I checked, and that was two weeks ago. So we might've hit all 50 states by now. Moral of the story is it gives me a chance to interact with the reader. So if you decide to get the book, sign up to experience the book, respond to the messages you get. Those come straight to me. I'd love to be in conversation with you and figure out ways that you can enhance your employees' experiences by thinking a little bit differently about the employee journey. Joey, this is incredible. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, it, how, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you to ask any questions or learn more about your services or the book, how would they do that? How do they find you? Yeah, TJ, I appreciate that. Uh, the book's available wherever you like to consume books. So your local bookstore, your indie bookstore, the big box retailer, online at Amazon, wherever you like to get books. Um, the best place to find me is at my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you know, or a baby kangaroo. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. There you'll find information about the book. You'll find videos. You'll find uh, ways to get in contact with me. I do workshops. I do consulting engagements. I speak at large events and conferences. So any way that I can be of support to anybody that wants to enhance either their employee experience or their customer experience, I'd love to have that conversation. Beautiful. Joey, thank you so much as always and looking forward to the next conversation. Thanks, TJ. And thanks to everybody for listening in. Really appreciate your time. You got it. Take care.